comes from Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. Be glad in the Lord always. Again, I say, be glad. Let your gentleness show in your treatment of all people. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up all of your requests to God in your prayers and petitions, along with giving thanks. Then the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. morning scripture passage was from Philippians. It's the last part of the book of Philippians that we're going to be reading. And it, it began with Paul telling the people of Philippi to rejoice always. Now part of the, script, part of the process of the, of the seasonal team is that they read scripture together and we all share what questions we have about the scripture, right? And some weeks everybody has a different opinion or a different question. Every person on the season team, every single one of them, wanted to know, how do we rejoice always? Right? How do we rejoice always? Now, y'all know I have problems with Paul. Um, and one of the problems I have with Paul is that sometimes he asks us to do the impossible. Right? Get along with everyone. Don't be mean. Don't say mean things about anyone, and everyone should be of like mind, and you should, um, everyone should be the same, and maybe don't wear your hair down in worship services or earrings ever, right? Or, um, yeah, maybe you should rejoice always. Impossible. It's impossible. And so what, what could Paul possibly be talking about? I mean, does he really think we should rejoice all the time, like when you just got a bad medical diagnosis, that your response should be, hooray, God. Or, surprise, pop quiz. <laughs> right? There are other words that come to mind when we hear that. <laughs> Not, yay. Or, surprise, your tire is flat. Or your power went out, right? And all of the food in your refrigerator is now no good. My mother the other day went to, uh, she's the parish associate at First Pres in Highland, High Point. Um, and she does visitations during the week, which is a lot of fun for her. But she came home from doing visitations in High Point one Sunday and realized they'd left the, the freezer door open, which is bad, except for she, being my mother, had just stocked it full. I mean, full. Like, yeah, you couldn't get into the freezer. Like, you opened the door and you were a little afraid kind of freezer. Everything. It ruined, like, six months' worth of food. And I guarantee to you that her first words were not, rejoice. <laughs> and she's a minister. She should know better, right? Rejoice, God. I'm so glad now all my food's defrosted and I can eat it all at once, right? So what is this rejoicing nonsense all about, Paul? It's helpful to remember that Paul writes this letter in prison and that he is writing to people who are going through actual things. It's not a like blanket statement. What he is telling them is there are two people in the church who aren't getting along. They're having a little bit of an argument. 
And in this case, the two people happen to be um, the matriarchs of the church, the two heads of the two families. Does this sound at all familiar to anyone in this room? Right? And they're not getting along. They disagree about what they're supposed to be doing as a church. And Paul writes them in this letter, rejoice always, you two women who can't get along. And I don't know what their response was, but his point wasn't that you should be happy all the time. If you just put a smile on your face, that will solve all of the problems of the world. If we pretend like everything's okay, it's going to be fine. That's not what rejoicing is. And Paul doesn't mean that in my imprisonment, I'm excited or happy every day. That's not what rejoicing is either. And so what is rejoicing? Rejoicing in this context really means trusting. It means trusting. What Paul means is not that you should be happy all the time, but that you should have an attitude of trust in God. That if you trust in God, then you will understand that your problem, whatever it is, is not bigger than what God can do. You may be imprisoned, you may have a bad medical diagnosis, you may have a pop quiz in your class, you may get a bad grade, your power may go out, but none of that is of eternal consequence. None of that is bigger than what God can do in any situation, every single one of them. Now, I went um, in 2005, there was the Hurricane Katrina, and those of us of a certain age remember how devastating that was. I went down over Christmas break with my dad and my sister to do some uh, mission work in Gulfport, Mississippi, and we stayed in a camp uh, that they had um, that wasn't yet a camp, but people had donated campers, trailers, um, RVs for mission workers to stay in, and so they pulled them all up into this big field, and all it was was like seven RVs and um, a propane stove, right? Because it was three months after the hurricane came through. And we, we got to driving down there, and we got to Hattiesburg, which is about an hour outside of Gulfport. And in Hattiesburg, you could see trees that were broken in half. And it was an impending sense of doom. Have you ever had that? Like, you know that you're going somewhere that is not going to be good, <laughs> right? And I didn't know really what we was getting into because my dad arranged it. And you never really know what my dad arranging things is going to turn out to be. And um, so we kept driving. And as we got closer and closer to the coast, more and more trees had fallen until there were whole sections of the land covered in trees that had fallen. And I thought that was bad. And then we got to Gulfport itself. And it wasn't that the trees had fallen and broken, but that every tree had toilet paper and paper towels and pieces of paper in it. I'll never forget it. It looked like it had snowed. Every tree covered in bits of paper. Now, I didn't climb up in the tree to see what these bits of papers were, but I'm guessing some of them were things like photographs and family stories and old newspapers that had the history of the town in them. It was devastation everywhere. And I thought that was bad. And then we crossed the railroad track. 
And the railroad track was built up. It was probably five feet above where the rest of the surrounding ground was to act as a dike to prevent water from going into the town. We crossed the railroad tracks, and now there was nothing. I mean, nothing. And we met the lady who was hosting us at the camp, and she was a member at First Presbyterian Church of Gulfport, Mississippi. Um, it wasn't our kind of Presbyterian. It was a different kind of Presbyterian, so we didn't go into the, you know, me being a minister thing. But um, <laughs> she showed us her church. And this church faced the beach, and it was from here, from me to the doors, to the beach. She takes us into the church and shows us where 15 feet of water went through their sanctuary. 15 feet. Now, I'm really bad at measurements, but that's what, like the windows? 15 feet of water. There was no carpet. There were no pews. There was not even windows anymore. The windows had been busted out by the water. The only thing that was remaining was the stairs going to the pulpit. And she walked me over to this pile of rubble on the floor, and she pointed at it, and she said, this is our pulpit. The wall was so powerful, it ripped the stone pulpit off of the wall. Nothing. Not a thing in that church. And I said, wow, you guys must be really upset. Like, this is really hard. This is your church, man. She said, no, the Lord has blessed us. The Lord has blessed us. And I said, but you don't have anything left. This is all you got. This is it. Like, how are you worshiping when all you have is a box? She said, the Lord has blessed us. We are meeting at an elementary school. And every day we have to put up our chairs and we have to, um, every Sunday we come in with all of our stuff, they're in Tupperware containers, all of our stuff, everything. And we're gonna go in and we go in and we set up all the chairs and we set up our tables and we set up our musical stuff and we have a screen because we don't have a copier anymore. And um, we sit in these chairs and we worship God. We are blessed. And I said, but how much money is it gonna take to redo your sanctuary? And she said, oh, we're not going to do that. We've decided that we're going to sell our church because we moved to the elementary school and God has blessed us. Now, I don't know that I would be that mature in my faith. I don't know what I would do if the church caught on fire. I mean, probably not a hurricane here, but I guess if the church caught on fire, I don't know what I would do. I can tell you my first words would not be We've been blessed. And so I asked her, how is it that you have come to this place where you can be okay with this, that you can not only be okay, that you can feel blessed by this? This is devastating. This is the end of everything that you knew. This church, you know, had been here for hundreds of years. It's right across the street from the beach. This is the perfect place. She said, I don't know, but I know that I pray a lot. And that I read my Bible a lot, and that I trust God. God's not going to leave us in the destruction. God has given us a new place, a new mission field. And since we've gone there, we've grown. And they didn't mean in numbers, though they did, but they meant they've grown spiritually. Spiritually. 
because they learned they had to trust God. She said, I rejoice every day and give thanks because we trust God more than we ever did before. And so now, Pastor Liz, you are asking, how do we trust God like that? I don't know that I can do that. I don't think that I'm that spiritually mature. And all I can tell you is it's a daily decision. That the more that you pray, the more that you read scripture, the more that you listened to music, the more that you talk to one another in God, the more that you show up for God, the deeper your trust will go. You get what you put into it a little bit. And so maybe you don't have time to get up a half an hour before work and read the Bible and pray with a lit candle and a nice special chair. That that would be amazing, right? <laughs> I'll settle for the lit candle and the special chair in five minutes. <laughs> but you can be with God. You can be aware of God. You can choose an attitude that says that you see God at work. And so maybe, maybe, you can listen to the Bible in an app while you're doing your workout. Which, granted, is not as much fun as catching up on the latest season of whatever it is that you happen to work out with. Maybe when your car, when you find a good parking spot, you can say, thank you, Jesus. Maybe when you show up half an hour late for a McCartney concert and nobody else can get in and you find a place a mile and a half out, instead of complaining, you say, thank you, Jesus. Which I promise were not the first words out of my mouth. <laughs> it's okay to be thankful for those little things, for the parking space, for the cookie that someone brings you unexpectedly, for the smile on a friend, for the moment of peace when you recognize that your trust in God paid off. You do those things and I promise you, you will be able to rejoice no matter what happens. Amen.